Hello and welcome to the Plato's Academy Center podcast, where we feature modern-day academics, authors, and influencers that promote philosophy as a way of life. Be sure to check out our events page at platosacademy.eventbrite.com to stay up to date on our latest virtual conferences. Let me begin by reading to you a quote from Iris Murdoch, one of modernity's great Platonists. Um, Murdoch writes in The Sublime and the Good that love is the extremely difficult realization that something other than oneself is real. And she goes on, love and so art and morals is the discovery of reality. I think that this is an excellent definition of love, and it's love that I'd like to talk about today. Love as the discovery of reality. Our subject for the whole gathering is how can we save rational discourse, philosophy, and politics? And the first thing that I'd like actually to argue is that each component of that title, and there, there are three components, rational discourse, philosophy, and politics. Those three components, each one of them I'm, I'm going to argue, requires a kind of love. Um, and by love, I mean a kind of orientation toward something that is real, that everyone involved recognizes as real and recognizes as good, as worth pursuing. So let me begin by sort of explaining some of what I mean by this. I think it's easiest to see how philosophy involves a kind of love, because it's right there in the name, philosophia. Um, philia, the love uh, of Sophia, of wisdom. So when you're doing philosophy, it implies that you believe, or at least maybe you hope, that there's such a thing as wisdom. Wisdom is a real thing. It's worth pursuing. Um, and in my opinion, at least, every kind of philosophy that is worthwhile takes this form, even the kind of philosophy that involves the sort of cheeky disavowal of all knowledge, which is a kind of philosophy that's been going on at least since uh, Heraclitus and Socrates, right? I know that I know nothing. Even that kind of philosophy means making a claim that it is prudent or wise um, to refrain from asserting certainty. And if you're saying that, um, then you think that prudence or wisdom is real and a good thing implicitly. Um, and so it's something that you're seeking. It's something that you believe to be good. Philosophia, love of wisdom. Now, our second topic, uh, rational discourse, uh, in Greek, I think this is what we might refer to as dialectic, um, which is the exchange of speech conversation between dia, two or more people. So you have logos, the sort of rational ideal, uh, rational thought, rational uh, argument, and it's shared via speech, via lexis, um, dia, two or more people, and you get dialectikos or, or dialectic. Um, and those two or more people, and you could take, for example, all of us who are here online talking together, who are listening to one another speak, considering what's true and false in these different talks. Um, each of us must have logged on, gotten together here because we hope to gain from the exchange. Um, so when we try to engage in rational discourse, we are trying to find wisdom in communion with one another. Uh, if you and I sit down at a table to talk, we hope that something is going to emerge in the space between us. 
um, that is more than either of us could have figured out alone. So you might say that if philosophy is love of wisdom, then rational discourse is what happens when two people share that love. You could hypothetically, as an individual in your study alone, hunt out, contemplate the true. Um, but rational discourse is a team sport. And when two people get together to aim at something they both believe in, something they think is real and good and worth pursuing, um, even if they disagree about the nature of that thing and how to attain it, um, even so, when you get together with somebody about or around some shared objective, um, there's a kind of triangular relationship that, that comes into being. Because there's the thing, right? In this case, there's, there's wisdom um, that we both want. There's the efforts that we are making at getting it. There's my relationship to wisdom and your relationship to wisdom and our pursuit of it. But then, uh, as we engage, there are ways in which we might critique and consider one another's efforts. We would refine our own approaches based on what we learn from the other person's success and failures. Um, this is what the Bible's book of Proverbs refers to as iron sharpening iron, right? Um, and so what that means is that the third leg of the triangle is directly between you and me. So uh, if you and I are relating together to something we both consider real and worthwhile, uh, we can also come to consider one another to be real and worthwhile in the process, even digitally, even across uh, this sort of Zoom space that we're in. Now, the common, the shared approach to something that is real, that kind of love uh, and art and morals that Murdoch is talking about, that shared pursuit, which has sort of the direction of each of us pursuing the shared thing, that has a third direction. And that third direction, that third leg of the triangle, that's what the Greeks would have called philia, friendship. Um, and according to Aristotle, who's the philosopher I most want to read from today, um, philia is an ethical virtue. It's a kind of love, and it has a form of perfection. It has a highest form. So that's what I wanted to spend some time talking about today, was philia love in its political and personal forms in the works of Aristotle. Um, in book eight of his Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle embarks upon a famous division of friendship into three kinds based on its objects. The one kind of friendship is based on utility. Uh, this is tokresimon, uh, basically how we can benefit, be of use to one another. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. These are sort of the forms of friendship that are based on tochresimon. That's that which is useful, how we can be useful to each other. Um, and this, says Aristotle, is the kind of friendship that old men sometimes get into uh, in politics, right? Uh, we might think about the smoke-filled room, uh, the handshake deal, these ways of benefiting one another professionally that uh, boil down to tochresimon. And uh, one feature of this is that when we can no longer do each other any favors, when we lose the influence or the power that might make us useful to one another, um, then we might part ways. So friendship based on utility has the feature of being kind of uh, breakable, uh, and, it, and it falls apart if we can't continue to do good for one another. There's another kind of uh, friendship that is based on pleasure, tohedu. Um, and this is the kind that means we just think what's really fun to be around each other. Uh, and it flares up, Aristotle says, among young people. And we can see this. You can think about, you know, high school besties, right, who can't stop giggling just for the sheer pleasure of being around each other. It's a very sweet 
kind of friendship. In fact, that's another meaning of tohedu. Um, but there's not necessarily anything deeper behind or beneath it. Uh, and that's why it too can fade very quickly. These days we talk about friend crushes. And indeed, uh, philia that is based on tohedu, on pleasure, and bears a lot of resemblance to eros, to romantic love, physical attraction, um, and erotic passion is maybe the closest thing to that friendship of sweetness. Um, it's powerfully pleasurable, but unless it's underwritten by something deeper, it, it's not really enduring in itself. But for lasting and durable friendships, uh, we have to seek what Aristotle calls teleophilia. This is from the famous word telos. Um, this is the philia which is complete or perfect in some sense. And you might even say that the other kinds of friendships are like subsidiary derivatives. They're kind of shadows or uh, approximations of this complete friendship, uh, but they don't quite attain to the completion of teleia philia. This is the love that we bear toward one another because of the good that is in each of us. Um, Cicero's On Friendship is essentially an extended meditation on this particular kind of friendship. And, you know, in the in the cynical and mercenary world of Roman Republican politics, Cicero was spending time meditating on what sorts of relationships didn't depend on the favors you could do for one another, the backroom deals that you could make. And that's Tilea Philia. That's loving one another for our own sakes. Uh, I love you because of the good in you, and you love me because of the good in me. It is a kind of intimacy that can only come into being among equals. Now, you might think that this means people who have this high form of friendship will ditch one another uh, the minute one of them falls short of the absolute ideal of moral perfection. But that's actually not the case at all. In fact, these are the most durable friendships because uh, friends who share this kind of love of the good in one another, um, these sorts of friends don't abandon one another when they fall short, but rather criticize one another, even harshly. Your friend is the person who can point out to you when you've uh, whiffed it, when you've made a mistake, when you've gone wrong. Um, and this is because the love that these sorts of friends share bears reference to an independent standard, a third good or excellence that we love in one another. Um, and for that reason, I think that this perfect friendship, this telea philia, is perhaps closest to the kind that comes into being between those who share an authentic love for some good or some truth, a kind of dialectic love, if you like, that I was talking about earlier. And in other words, I guess what I'm saying is the love that develops between people who share in rational discourse is the kind of friendship or love that can, at least in principle, potentially, bind people together enduringly, even when they must disagree or criticize one another quite harshly. Uh, we can be honest with one another in that way if our friendship, our philia, arises from a shared love of something that we believe is real and good. And so that is why our third term today, the term politics, is also a matter of love. That's what I'd like to suggest in the next part of this talk, because Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, it's well known, is a sort of prerequisite course to his politics, his work on living together in structured community. Um, you might put it this way, being good as an individual, seeking excellence, seeking moral virtue and uh, human flourishing as one person, 
that's kind of the first step or the atomic building block for living well together, seeking mutual good in forms of community and relationship. And that structured living together, that's what makes up a city or a polis, whence our word politique. And, you know, Aristotle starts to actually get at this already as he rounds out his discussion of friendship in the Nicomachean Ethics. So to start, here's my translation of chapter 9 of book 8. And for those keeping track at home, this is Becker page 1159b. Um, and Aristotle draws here the connection between personal friendship and political justice. He writes, It would seem that friendship and justice are about the same things and emerge among the same people. They're about the same things and they emerge among the same people. For in every community, something is considered just and there is friendship. And just insofar as people share in community, in that same measure, there is friendship. For there is also justice. The proverb that the things of friends are shared is rightly said, for friendship consists in community. And you'll note here an extraordinarily close association between philia and to dikaion, that which is just or the just. And, and it has to do with that shared assessment of what is good and worth pursuing. Now, Aristotle cleverly doesn't say that every community is founded on a true or an accurate notion of the just. You can have all sorts of differences of degree and opinion in some communities that are very poorly founded on a, on a misconception of what is just. But fundamentally, by definition, when we form political community, uh, implicitly, we do so because we collectively agree that there is such a thing as justice and that we are pursuing it together. And you can see how very close this is to the high form of friendship in which we recognize our goodness, the goodness of one another in reference to some third excellence. Um, all the distinctions of degree and difference will obtain for politique philia, political friendship, uh, that obtain an individual friendship. There are differences of degree, of objects, of kind. But fundamentally, when people do politics, uh, when they choose to do politics, they are sharing in a common view of what is just, and that is what is good and what they love or pursue, their telos. And so among them, there comes into being that third leg of the triangle, the love that forms between people trying to advance towards something they believe is good. And by the time he gets to book three of his politics, Aristotle is exploring how this shared sense of purpose binds together a polis as more than just people who happen to live together in a particular place and time. This is why book three of the politics is so essential, as Aristotle is asking the question, what is it that makes something, some group of people, into a political community? Because it's not just the stuff, it's not just the particular people who have to happen to live in a place together. Um, that's what you might call the hule, the matter of a polis. Um, but one of Aristotle's fundamental philosophical contentions is that the matter of a thing has to be organized into a morphe, a form, uh, in order for it to have real existence as, as a defined thing. Um, and so politeia, which is kind of the essence of cityness, or what we might call the small c constitution, um, this is the form of being in political community, and it is more than just blood and soil. It's more than just living together or, or being related. Um, so here's my translation of Politics Book 3, Chapter 9. It's Becker, page 1280b. Aristotle writes, Clearly then, a city is not just a common physical location that people occupy, 
even if they do so for the sake of trading and refraining from injustice toward each other. So non-aggression and economic relationships are not enough to form a politeia, a real political community. He says these things must exist if a place is to be a city, but the mere existence of them all is not sufficient to make it one. No, there must also be a shared enterprise of living well together, both in households and in clans, for the sake of a complete and self-governed life. That is to say, essentially, that living together, being in the same space, that's a necessary but not a sufficient condition for political community. Self-governed and complete life means more than that. And it will not come about, I quote now from Aristotle, this will not come about unless they live in the same place and intermarry. That is why marriage alliances came to be in cities in the first place, as well as family allegiances, festivals, and all the other pastimes of living together. And this is a work of friendship, of philia or love. For friendship is what it is when people choose intentionally to live together. So then the purpose, the telos, of a city is living well, and all of this is for the sake of that purpose. So building on this idea that philia is the kind of glue that comes to bind people together when they pursue a shared telos, a common notion of uh, todikion or the just, um, you will note the activities that Aristotle mentions taking place and cementing those bonds, bonds of intermarriage, bonds of personal relationship. Uh, we might list now things like going to community ball games, going to church, uh, showing up at the PTA. Um, these are all, importantly, human-sized activities, face-to-face, not-online activities. You will scour the politics in vain for a mention of Twitter or Facebook or TikTok, and I don't think it's just because they hadn't been invented yet. I think it's essential that we understand politics in this sense as a face-to-face offline endeavor, because philia of this kind is human-sized. It involves human relationships. And one thing that I personally have discovered as I've uh, moved out here to Nashville, Tennessee, is that in neighborhoods, among neighbors, when you do go out into your community and you try to solve a problem that faces, say, the school board or a uh, question of you know business uh, resource allocation, when you're dealing with people face-to-face, a lot of the big distinctions that can seem catastrophic online will sort of dissolve. Um, things like, I'm on the blue team and you're on the red team, uh, don't quite have as much power when you're talking specifically about a problem in front of you that you might face together. In physical space-time, with human-sized problems, we can begin to talk again to one another. And in talking to each other, merely in the very act of doing so, we are implicitly saying that there is some third thing, some truth toward which our words refer. In rational discourse, we find the civility that can help save rational politics. Um, Things that we talk about in our school boards, in our churches, in our city councils, um, there is a relationship that emerges between people who undertake such things, and it is a relationship that looks a lot like love. I think Aristotle might have called it politike philia, and I think it might be a key ingredient, a fundamental ingredient, to saving rational discourse. Above all, love one another, says the letter to the Colossians. This is what binds all things together and completes the whole. Love is not the only answer to our problems. It may not be the exhaustive solution, but what I hope I've argued today is that we won't get far without it.
Thank you very much. Thank you.